Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. It's good to be here this morning. I get to teach and continue teaching on Colossians. And uh, today we're going to dive into Colossians 2. So just as, uh, well, continue in Colossians 2. So as a review, um, last time I taught here, I was pointing out that you could summarize what Paul is teaching in Colossians as a warning and an encouragement. The church in Colossians has had some like false teachers kind of come in and there's been some confusion about how we live and how as believers we should be living our life. And there's these different opportunities for the church in Colossians to deviate from like gospel truth. So what Paul has been doing has been continually kind of setting the foundation about like this is how you live. This is these are the kind of the rails that we want to live within. And so there's a lot of like there's encouragement and there's warning, warning against the false teachings. Right? And, there's, and, and some of it's really hard, right? And so that's good. And it's good for us to receive both encouragement and also to receive the warning, right? Because I wouldn't be a very good dad if I didn't warn my kids of things that the trajectory of their life, the way that they would go, if I'm not like, hey, the way you're living right now is headed for disaster, right? Like I wouldn't be a good dad if I didn't say that to them, right? If I knew that the way that they were going was going to head towards Disaster. So Paul, similarly, is kind of giving a message of warning along with giving a message of encouragement. So the idea is that Paul wants the Colossians to live, to, he's giving them teaching so that they can live distinctive Christian lives in a pluralist society, to have distinctive Christian households, to do family differently so that the watching world can see, oh, this is what the gospel looks like once it's heard, understood, and lived out. So that's the goal of Colossians, to have the encouragement and the warning so that teaching forms who we are around who Jesus is and what Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection means for the church. And so for us, we get to draw from that as a church in Verona, Madison, Dane County, where we have a pluralist society that we're living in, getting rooted and grounded in who Christ is so that we know how to live for his glory. So that's sort of like the, the summary of what Colossians is. And so today we're going to dive in to, the text we're going through today is Colossians 2, 11 through 15. But I want to go back to, and I want to read, starting in verse 6, actually. So, I'm going to read this here, so read this with me, if you will, or just listen along, read along. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and, according to, and, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all, all rule and authority. So this is where we're going to spend our time. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised and with 
and I'm sorry, raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God, and ra- who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for your challenge. And thank you for your encouragement to us. And thank you for your love for us. And my hope and my prayer for us this morning is that as we read through this text, we would see your heart towards us. We would understand the depth of your love for us. In these words that we're reading about your covenant with us and how our sins are forgiven, and our debt is paid, and the record of that sin is gone, that we are now alive in you. All of these complex ideas, Lord, I pray that they would sink into our hearts by the power of your Spirit. I pray that by the power of your Spirit that these words would become alive. These words that are on these pages would become alive to us and shape us and speak to us. So I ask for your anointing, Holy Spirit, today, to speak your truth, that it would be your words that would come off these pages and change our hearts and change our minds. I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, there's a lot here in this text. We're going to try to go through it a little slowly so that we can catch it, okay? So what we're talking about today in all of these verses, when we start to so candidly, when I started to read through this, when, when, when Shannon said, hey, so you're going to preach this week, this week, or whatever, because Sh- Shannon's on vacation this week. And I'm like, okay, so what are we reading about? And I'm just maybe showing my immature side. I'm like, wow, I'm going to preach about circumcision. How am I going to, like, I've never done that before. I'm like, what does that mean? Right? What does circumcision, not, what does this mean? And so uh, it's really powerful. It's really powerful, like, getting into, in fact, I was talking about it with my son, Michael. Like, he's like, hey, what are you preaching on? I'm like, I'm preaching on this. He's like, wow. And I go, okay, so what does this mean? What does the, new, what does the circumcision not done by flesh, what does that not by, by the hands of man mean? When we read that, like, I don't know if you're like me, when you go through and you, sometimes you can read through scripture and you can get to a part and you're just like, yeah, read that, read that, read that, read that, read that. What? To me, candidly, these verses are some of those where I'm like, Huh? Right? And so if we go back to, let's go back to Genesis and look at what circumcision meant. Okay? And what that meant for, what that meant for the Israelites. Okay? So that's why I say it's, it's about God's covenant with Abraham. So in, in Genesis 17, God speaks to Abraham and he gives him a promise of who Abraham is going to be. He's going to be the father of many nations and he's going to have this whole lineage, and we know the story of Abraham, right? Like, Father Abraham had many sons, right? We know the story of who Abraham is, but sometimes we forget about his significance in that God made a covenant with his people through Abraham, and he calls him out. So if we look in, if we look in uh, Genesis 17 for a second, 
let's go there because it's it's really good. Seventeen, verse seven. He God says to Abraham, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring. After you throughout your, their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourning and the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And, get, and then verse 9. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring. So, I'm going to hold up right there. So God is making this covenant with the people, this powerful, life-changing, generation-changing covenant with his people saying, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. There's going to be this whole lineage thing. All of the people, all of your offspring will be part of the covenant of, that we're creating today because you are mine and I'm your God. Right? So it's a powerful thing when he sets up, the, when he sets up this covenant. And so if you're Abraham, you're like, got it. Got it? Yes, yes, this is awesome. I get to covenant with God, and I'm not trying to make light of this, so please hear me. Just please hear me, because this is foreign on us sometimes. So God is speaking, if you're going to do this, you're going to have this whole line, you're going to be the father of many nations, as many as the sand of the sea, right? It's powerful. And then he says, between me and you and your offspring, every male among you shall be circumcised. I'm Abraham, I'm like, wait, what? Like, that's how you're going to show? You're going to show this covenant through this like painful, excruciating thing, right? That we, pe people are uncomfortable even talking about. Like I'm uncomfortable talking about it, right? So the point was, it was an, it was an, a physical, a physical sign that you were gods. It was a physical sign that you were gods. And if you keep reading, and we won't, we'll go off on this completely today, those who weren't, those who didn't have circumcision, were not going to be part of God's family and His kingdom. That's what it says in Genesis 17. And so all of the males needed to be circumcised. This painful, excruciating process, right? So now that's the history of the Jewish, like, summarized and dumbed down and, you know, like, what the, the significance of circumcision, right? So now we see in Colossians 2, we see in Colossians 2 where Paul says, hey, you are going to have, let me just get there. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So for us, we're under this new covenant. So we don't have to, we didn't have to receive the physical mark of circumcision to be part of God's family. So it's a, it's a, it's a matter of the heart. It's the matter of the heart. Of the, so the prior to in the Old Testament, Abraham had to show a physical sign of his dedication to be part of the covenant. Now Paul is saying, hey, listen, Colossians, there's all this teaching. Be careful of, about this. You are brought into God's family. You've, your sins have been forgiven. If you know Christ, if you are part of, if you've committed to him, you are now part of his family. And guess what? We're not talking about circumcision done with, by, with hands of men. This is circumcision of the heart. But you will be his people, and you are part of his covenant. This is powerful. It's opened up 
to not just the Jewish tribe or the Jewish family, but to Gentiles. And so it's much more powerful to have this like welcome into God's family through the covenant of circumcision through Christ, not done with the hands of men. So if you're reading this and you're hearing this, you're like, man, so I get to wait. So what you're saying is previously there you was a divide, right? There was like a, those are God's people. We're not in that crowd. You ever feel that where you're like, oh, they're part of that tribe or they're part of that clique and I don't get to be part of that crew. We joke about that all the time. Like, people say, oh, the cool kids are over here, right? There's a separation. No one likes to feel that separation. I don't care how old you are. If you're 13 or if you're 90, right? Maybe if you're 90, you get like, listen, pal, I'm long past caring about that, right? But no one wants to. So the separation between the tribes was taken away through Christ. So here's the powerful part. So previously you had to have a physical sign of being part of the covenant, and now because of Jesus' physical sign, he took the mark so that you could be part of his family. So the physical, the physical circumcision, which was painful, meant you got to be part of the family. Jesus has a physical expression. He takes a physical painful, excruciating experience dying on the cross so that we get to be part of his family. That's why Paul's like, hey, you guys got to pay attention to this. This is why I'm starting here. We're talking about a circumcision, not that it's just a physical thing that you can tend to be legalistic about, but we're talking about a circumcision of the heart. So after that verse, he goes right into verse 12 having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So we can't lose just the simplicity of this, right? So because of who Christ is, he's reminding the Colossians, and it's just as pertinent today, because of who Jesus is and what he took for us on the cross, we are now part of his family. We don't have to get circumcised in order to do that. And also when we get baptized, we're dead like Jesus Right? He died and then came back to life through the powerful work of Christ. We're part of his family. We're part of his family. So here's the thing then. Verse 13, you were dead in your trespasses. Paul's saying you were dead. This gets lost on us sometimes when we just keep reading. No, you were dead. Prior to you knowing who Jesus is, if you don't know who Jesus is, you're dead. You're spiritually dead. So when we come to know Christ and we come to faith, we become alive by the power of the Spirit. Prior to that, we're dead. Dead. Stuck in our sins. Trapped in our own trespasses. And Paul says, this, this, when Paul re- says this to the Colossians, the Colossians are like, oh, because of who Christ is, I was forgiven and I was dead and now I'm alive? What does that mean for me today? This changes everything. This changes how I live. This changes what I care about. This changes what I don't care about, right? So he says, having been buried with him in baptism, let me get down to verse 13, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. So split that up. And you were dead and God made you alive. God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And then verse 14 takes it even further. It's like it just keeps getting better and better and better. Listen, 
You're part of the family. You don't have to be circumcised. Christ took that for you. Now you're buried with him. You come back to life because of Christ's resurrection. Your sins are forgiven. And verse 14 takes it to a whole new level. Canceling of the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. If you think about somebody who has a judgment out against you, or if you have someone that, like, like I don't know if, that, if you've ever had that, but if, you ha- if you've owed somebody something and all of a sudden you don't anymore, not only is, like, the debt not there, but the, the record, it's as if it didn't exist. Right? So Paul's saying you were dead in your trespasses, and now you are alive, and the record is erased. This, these verses here, when we first look at it, we see, like, circumcision. What? We see baptism. This is the gospel right here boiled down into five verses. This is everything we need to know. Listen, you were dead, now you're alive because who Christ is. And everything's erased. This should give us joy. This should give us gratefulness. This should give us thankfulness. This should give us clarity of vision for our life. Amen? Amen. So, then, furthermore, he says, also, he disarmed. I got to camp on this for a second. The legal demands were erased when he nailed them to the cross. So when you think about when Jesus went to the cross, he was mocked. He was mocked, right? Here's Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. So he says. They think they took care of him, right? And in that act, our sins are taken away. And, and then talk about being put to shame in verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them. That's a hard word. Triumphing over them in him. So the sin is gone. Death is defeated. And he puts them to open shame. He puts them to open shame. So this is our truth. This is the truth for us. If you are a believer in Christ, this is your truth. That your record of wrongs, your trespasses, are gone. They're gone. As if they didn't exist. How great of a feeling is that, and what should that do to your life? What should that do to you individually, and what should that do for us as a church? To have a collective body of people who have, whose sins have been forgiven. I mean, our sins are great. Our sins are great, but they've been forgiven in Christ. Like, we hear this often, but how often do we actually think about and let it penetrate the fact that we have sinned against a holy God and we deserve death? But Christ says, no, I'll take that. I will take that. I, and why? Because he wants us in his family. Because he loves us so much. Tim Keller says this, the gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared, dared believe. That's the beginning part of the gospel. We, you, you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared to believe. If we really think about it, right, we can justify ourselves. We can say, nah, I'm actually not that bad, and we compare ourselves to other people, right? No, you're more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. But here's the best part. But more accepted and loved than you ever dared to hope more accepted and loved than you ever dared to hope. I've been convicted lately. I think I may even share this last time. 
Why does all this matter? Why do this? Why be part of a church? Why go to church? Why listen? Why worship? Why all of this stuff? If all of this stuff is true, if everything in here is true, why, why are we still struggling? Why do we still have anxiety? Why do we still gossip about each other? Why do the things of this world still own us? Why? We still carry both natures, yes. And we're not convinced of how much God loves us. We are not convinced of how much he loves us. If we were, if we were convinced, if we really, really, really knew that there was nothing we could ever do that would make him love us more or love us less, it would change how we live, right? It would change if we really, really knew that. Now, we've heard it, and we've been around it, and we're right now even being like, yes, let's not do one of those sloppy grace, you know, like messages. Let's not do that. Like, let's have good doctrine. Yes, let's have good doctrine. But let's know God loves you. We say it so, inf- I say that so infrequently, it sounds cliche to say it out loud. That's a travesty. That's bad. That is a bummer, right? So God loves you so much that he sent his son to pay the penalty of sin for you, the sin that you owed. So if we got this, if we knew this, if we really were realizing you were dead in your trespasses, and now you're alive because of Christ, and your record of wrongs are erased. If we knew the travesty of our sin also, right? Like if we knew how, how much our sin hurt God, and then realized in our ugliness, God says, you're mine. I took that. The weight should fall heavy on us, and with a huge sigh of relief, but you love me? You really love me, but you don't know my thoughts. You don't know my dirty thoughts. You don't know my secret thoughts or my secrets. You don't know those things. He goes, yeah, I do. And I still love you. And I forgot about those. Have you? If we are in Christ, right? If for this is the blessing of the covenant. If we are in Christ, we are a new creation. So we need to live as new creations. We need to remember that. We need to know that our Father can't outlove us. He can't outlove us. He's going to try. He's going to keep going. And But we don't believe. We think, no, nah, I can't be. I must have to do something to get it. I have to do something. Let me try. He's like, you can try. And I appreciate it. But it's already done. I already took care of it. Look at my son. Look at my son. I want to beat this thing. This, I need to hear this. Because we get so busy sometimes. We get so busy trying to like do this thing or try to you know, have our lives have meaning and we try to make sure that we're living on purpose, we're having intentionality with you know, all these different things. Just chill out for a second. Just hear that God loves you. Just know that God loves you. And from there, then ask the question like, hey, what would you have me do now with this newfound freedom? What would you have me do What does it look like now that I'm alive? I was dead, and now I'm alive. Now what? I get to be part of your family. Now what does that mean for me? Now what does that mean for me? So when I see us, me, struggling, 
Or if I say, when I say struggling, I mean just like having doubts, right? Just like, you know, what are we doing? Or you see, you see some of your brothers and sisters, and they're just like constantly running into the same thing over and over, and they can't get victory in certain areas. You're like, man, what is it? I thought, I thought, this, I thought this. Has anyone ever thought this? I thought this Christian life was going to be better. I thought this was going to have more meaning. I thought there was, I thought, I, honestly, I just thought it'd be better. And you think about your friends and your family who are no longer with us, right? And they not, I'm not saying they died, but they're just like, hmm, not interesting, not that moving, not that compelling, and you can start to outthink. What about when, the, what about when this happened? What about that? You know what? He loves you. That's the easiest answer. He loves you. He lo- and, so, but, and if you say, oh, that's too simplistic. Yeah, it 150,000% is too simplistic. That's it. He loves you. And while we were still sinners, he, Christ, died for us. And if we knew how much he loved us, if we knew that, if we lived in that, it would change how we live. Now, I don't know what that looks like specifically for each one of us, but I do know that we would have a lot more confidence, and I do know that there'd be a lot more people getting saved if we had our testimony a lot more alive, right? So the outcome of, no, the outcome of us living this out is our lives changed and the people's lives around us change. When we really live in knowing that we are loved, that we are loved, Right? So the impact of our testimony corresponds with the conviction of our living awareness of our debt being paid. Of our debt being paid. And not only that, but being alive in Christ. So do we know that we're really loved? Do we know that our debt has been forgiven? Do we know that? Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you've been buried, you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things on earth. So that's, that's, getting, that's skipping ahead a little bit. We're going to talk about that later. But all of these things, right, that we hear about. If then, when Paul says in verse 3 of, of Colossians 3, if then you've been raised with Christ, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means we shouldn't get so caught up in the things here on earth, but have our minds set on the things above, where Christ is. Where Christ is. And how, candidly, before when I was like, hey, I kind of stumbled when I was like, hey, we're going into worship. When I say, hey, who's been thinking about the week already? Who's been thinking about what needs to happen? I am. My mind is racing, right? So many times we have to, like, I have a friend of mine right now who's, like, keeping me accountable to spend 20 minutes away from my phone, email, just during the day. Phone, email, and God bless all of us people, just to have 20 minutes away to just think and pray and slow down. Because I'm convicted. I get so busy, I don't actually, you know, ideally we're all like, oh, yeah, we all get up in the morning and we have an hour of quiet time beforehand, before, no, nope, not, not for me. Like, I wake up to one of my kids in bed with me prior to me getting up, and I'm like, man, I lost already, you know? Oh, gosh, you know? I mean, I love you guys, but, you know. 
Who, feel, who, can, who sympathizes with that, right? When your kid's get in bed with you before and you're like, my day's done. I meant to get up and have like a morning quiet time beforehand. And now here I am, right? Well, that's just defeated thinking, honestly. Get over it. Grow up a little bit. I'm speaking to myself, right? So I got this friend of mine. He's text, we text each other. Hey, did you get away for a minute today? Did you shut it down for a second? Like, I don't know what everyone's jobs are like, but for me, like, I can take 20 minutes away and just go be quiet and spend some time with the Father and just candidly shut up for a second. For me, slow your mind down. Reflect. I think the enemy, the enemy's tactic is to keep us busy, to keep us busy doing good things, okay things, family things, kid things, productive things, all these things. Just keep them busy. If the enemy is like, you know what? Hey, they're about to start doing some stuff. In the, they're about to start making some headway in Madison. They're about to start pushing on our kingdom. Just keep them busy. Just keep them busy. Don't let them stop and think about how much God truly loves them. Because once they know how much God truly loves them, they'll do things differently. And then we really have to be afraid. Right? Do we know? Do we really know how valuable we are to the king? And how valuable we are to God that he would send his son to take the, take the penalty of sin for us? Do we know? And what would it look like if we actually lived our life as if we were at free? in our trespasses. I was driving to, I was going to work the other day. Such a silly story. I was driving to work the other day and um, late because I'm, you know, optimistic about what I could get done in the morning. <laughs> and I'm going, and, and, and I'm, a, I'm, you know, I, I choose to be grumpy if I don't have my coffee. I'm saying it that way, like, because that's just an excuse. So I was going to get coffee at the coffee shop because, again, didn't have time to get it at my house. And so I'm flying through. I'm, I live right off of Buckeye on the east side. And I'm flying through, and I see this cop pull out right behind me. And I'm like, oh, this is so good. He's in the, I'm like, he follows me into the parking lot, parks right next to me in the coffee shop. And I'm just like, this is so great. And I get out. I'm just pretending like he's not pulling me over. I'm just like getting out. And I'm like walking to the coffee shop. And he's like, hey, where are you going? So I'm like, I was going to go get some coffee. <laughs> he's like, well, so do you know why I stopped you? I'm like, no, I don't, because I'm like, it could have been any number of things, <laughs> you know? He's like, well, do you know what the speed limit is? I'm like, 25. He's like, it's 20. It's a school zone. I go, oh, sorry. He's like, uh, he's like oh, do, do you know how fast you're going? I'm like, more than 25, <laughs> you know? <laughs> he's like, yeah, you were going 35. And I'm like, oh, great. Now, here's the truth. Here's the backstory. I've already gotten two tickets in the last 12 months. So my kids are freaked out. I'm going to get my license taken away if I get, like, the wrong amount of points, right? That I, like, it's a, that's a problem, right? And so I'm just like, uh, and I'm almost, you know how, like, they're, like, a rolling 12. Do you guys get tickets? Do you guys know how this works? <laughs> You're like, I never got a ticket. I don't know how this works. Like, so you get, you're allowed so many points, you know, in a 12-year period. You can, you, I think you can lose 12, you know? And so I'm at eight. Um, that I've used up, and I'm getting close to where they start to come back, you know, and I'm like, oh, man, and I know I'm wrong, like, I know I'm wrong, I'm the idiot who's driving 
35 in a school zone. And I know, like, he got me. And part of me is like, like, my integrity part is like wanting to be like, mm, I don't know. And I'm like, yeah, you do know. Like, don't, like, I know what I did was wrong. And so he goes back to his guards, like, I'll be right back. He grabs my life. Like, all right. Like, this is just not, this is not worth it. Like, this is so not worth, like, whatever penalty he's going to get me, for sure not worth me having a cup of coffee, right? I'm like, man. So he comes back in, like, two seconds. I'm like, that was super fast. <laughs> you know, like, you can't write up a ticket that fast. And he's like, here you go, man. Slow down, would you? And I'm like, oh. I'm like, can I buy you a cup of coffee? No, I didn't say that. I just, that'd be kind of weird, I bet. So I went in and got coffee. And I'm thinking, I'm driving to my appointment. And I'm just like, man, if he would have looked at my record and seen that I've got, that's like the second warning I've gotten. So I've gotten pulled over five times. I've gotten tickets twice. And so I've got, that was my third warning. And, these, and all these guys, like, they should be looking at my record and giving me a ticket. But they did it. Either that or when they looked at my, this is where I'm getting to the point here. Either that or they looked at it and it was erased, one of the two. I don't know, right? So here's me, just a silly, small example. This is because it happened last week. I know I have a record, and it's not good, right? And he had every reason to be like, listen, pal, for your own good and the good of the community, I'm taking your license away, pal. Like, you shouldn't be driving this fast through these, you know, school zones, you know? But he didn't. Like, that's grace. That's like the definition of grace. I deserve to have this punishment. He's like, no, nope, go ahead, you know. So on a minute, tiny scale, it's as if, like, I should have gotten this penalty, and I didn't. Wow, that felt great. Now multiply that times a bazillion. We should have died. The penalty for sin is death. But Jesus, in his love for us, says, yeah, you're good. Move on. Go ahead. Now, if that changes how we live, right? Like when I was driving, I was like, oh, so lighthearted. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, this is going to be a great day. <laughs> like, this is going to be a great day. I just got this overlook. This is going to be awesome. I texted Kirsten that. She's like, that's interesting that that was your response, not like, hey, I should just slow down. But I'm just like, I just got off. This is going to be awesome, you know? But so, like, if we know that our sins have been forgiven, and that, verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, and we're part of his family now, it changes how we live. It changes how we live, right? So, are we alive or are we just getting by? How you doing? Are you alive? Do you live as a redeemed son or daughter of the king who in his love for us forgave your debt and gave you anything, everything? You're an heir with him now. Are we living like that? Or are we living on life support? Eh. Because honestly, you know what? Get, do one or the other. Don't be lukewarm, right? Like when I read that in Revelation, it's like, I would rather you be hot or cold, but the lukewarm, I'm done. No use for you. So as the church, we should be either passionately in love with Jesus, living as sons and daughters of the king, changed lives, fully alive in, his, in the spirit, or just don't even waste your time. Right? So what are we doing? Are you living or are you on life support? Are you living as if you're alive? One of my favorite quotes, and this thing's gotten co-opted. It's not even a verse, but it's gotten co-opted by like self-help and all this other nonsense stuff, but I still love it. So forgive me if this is that religious, but 
So I love this quote. And if you take this and you think about it in light of the gospel, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. That's not a believer who said that, I'm pretty sure. But we ask ourselves so much, all these questions. Man, stop. Don't ask yourself what you need to do. Ask what makes you come alive. Because get this, if, if we are a church with a bunch of people, men and women and children, who know they've been forgiven of their sins and they're alive in Christ, watch out. What's that look like for your community? What's that look like for your neighborhood? If you were alive in Christ and everything, and you set your minds on things above, the things that bother us as Americans is so petty. It's so petty. Like that, that speedy, I would have gotten mad at the guy. Oh, man, why'd you give me a ticket? Blah, 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 blah. Man, you're driving in this 2012 car on your way to this cushy job to go get a coffee that costs more than most people make in a day. Quit your whining, right? Quit your whining. Right? Set our minds on things above. Set your minds on things above. What's it look like for us as a church if we get this? If we get this? If we come alive? I want to read you this verse. This is from Ephesians. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Think of that language, through the riches of his glory, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, you being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. Let's slow down for a second. We are rooted and grounded in love. Joe's talking about farming, right? You think about like that cross-section of like gardening, when you see the roots go down into the rich soil. As believers, we are rooted in love. That's where our sustenance comes from. Rooted in Christ, in love. That gives us strength. That makes us live differently. Amen? That you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That's what we want. That's what we want. To be rooted and grounded in love. So, how are we going to live? How's Damascus Road going to live? What's our impact going to be? What are people going to say about Damascus Road? Huh? What are they going to say about us as believers? Oh, those guys? Those guys are crazy. Those guys are crazy. Nothing shakes those guys. Yeah, the same stuff happens to them, but nothing shakes them. I don't know why. I do. Are people saying that? Will people say that? Can people say that? I'm not concerned about what people think of us. I'm worried about what people think about the king. Because we represent the king, amen? So how we live shows the richness of our king. So if we're, if we're walking around like beggars who are bummed out all the time and ungrateful and complaining cynics, what's that say about our dad? And what's that say about our king? Let's flip that. Amen? Let's live as if we were children of the king. Forgiven. Our debts have been forgiven. Be like, man, look at those guys. Look how they live. Man, they give generously. They live lavishly. Not materially. They have rich relationships. And every time I'm around them, I feel like I'm important. They're always asking me questions. They're always asking how they can pray for me. Man, what's with those guys? I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. 
because it's not a material thing. It's not on this earth's level. It's because we have our minds fixed on things above, rooted and grounded in his love that surpasses all knowledge. What do you say? Let's do that. Let's show the watching world how rich our king is. Amen? We're going to head into a time of worship. With that mindset of knowing that the king loves us so much, we should sing differently. Amen? We should live differently. We're going to have, well, we, do we have it? The Lord's Supper. We're going to have, oh, 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 right here. So we're going to take communion, right? And let this be a time, let this be something that we take with seriousness, right? This is the body that was broken so that we could be alive. So that we could no longer be defined by our past, but to let his present and his future define us. Amen? So we're going to worship. Let's worship as if God canceled our debt. Let's give as if God canceled our debt. Let's commune and love each other as if we have no record of debt. And that the lovesick father is crazy about us and wants nothing more than for us to be with him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. God, I ask that you would show us how much you love us how much you love us, that in our lives, as we move and as we go to work and as we do all the simple things, we would be convinced of how much you love us and that that would change how we live. That would change our energy level. That would change the way that we're able to take risk and love people and step outside of what we think is comfortable. Lord, thank you for canceling our debt. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins, and thank you for drawing us into your family. Let us, as your church, show the watching world how rich you are, and let us worship you in spirit and in truth, Father. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.